There have been so many requests for us to say something about Lyme disease that I decided to dedicate a whole video to it. The claim that ticks cause the disease through bites is considered under the germ theory umbrella. In this case, the alleged bacterial pathogen is injected into the body by a tick. So let's have a look at the scientific evidence and reveal whether this bacteria can cause disease and if Lyme disease is even a legitimate entity. It is also timely as another fear campaign has just been launched in the form of the alleged deadly Crimean Congo hemorrhagic fever, poised to come to the United Kingdom and said to be spread by ticks. In fact, a tick bioweapon gaslighting campaign was also operating on corporate media platforms in July 2019. A Republican congressman from New Jersey wants the Pentagon to reveal whether it experimented on ticks with the goal of turning them into weapons and whether this led to the spread of Lyme disease in the U.S. Fox News national correspondent Jennifer Griffin has more. Borrelia burgdorferi, known to millions as Lyme disease, infects more than 300,000 Americans a year. It is spread by infected deer ticks. Not treated, it could lead to neurological damage. Now lawmakers want to know where did infected ticks come from and is the Pentagon to blame? Stay tuned because this one is a shocker. Part of the reason we have taken this long to publish something about Lyme disease is that it is said not to exist in our home country of New Zealand. In fact, the Ministry of Health states that ticks have the potential to pose public health and biosecurity risks because they can carry and transmit human and animal diseases. However, the Ministry is not aware of any cases of people catching a disease from a tick bite in New Zealand. The main diseases of concern in some other countries are not currently present in New Zealand. This is an interesting situation because if we have ticks and humans coming and going, then on their own terms, why would we not have Lyme disease here? Well, they give an explanation that states, the ticks present in New Zealand have shown the ability to transmit pathogens such as bacteria and viruses. Fortunately, the pathogens are rare in New Zealand and damage is mainly isolated to economic loss caused by heavy infestations. This is all rather wishy-washy. They are claiming that there are ticks that can transmit pathogens, that the pathogens are here, albeit rare, but there is no Lyme disease. As expected, the ministry, which is notorious for tuning out health disinformation, provides no scientific references on its webpage, and the article has been authored anonymously. Rest assured, though, the ministry states that it provides important safety and public health information through accounts on Facebook and Twitter. Mmm, the very big tech platforms that censor our analysis of virology and other scientific material. Over to the United States CDC page, which claims that 
Lyme disease is the most common vector-borne disease in the United States. Lyme disease is caused by the bacterium Borrelia burgdorferi and really Borrelia mayoni. It is transmitted to humans through the bite of infected black-legged ticks. There are no citations provided, simply a note at the end of the page that states the quote content source as the CDC National Center for Emerging and Zoonotic Infectious Diseases, Division of Vector-Borne Diseases. But that link doesn't provide specific citations either. This is looking a little suspicious. But before we go on a search for scientific evidence of the alleged causal agent of Lyme disease, first we should investigate what the disease is actually supposed to be. Spoiler alert, this is where the whole thing becomes unhinged. The CDC states that the early signs and symptoms could be fever, chills, headache, fatigue, muscle and joint aches, and swollen lymph nodes. On Wikipedia it gets even worse, where the Lyme disease entry states, Lyme disease can affect several body systems and produce a broad range of symptoms. Not everyone with Lyme disease has all of the symptoms, and many of the symptoms are not specific to Lyme disease, but can occur with other diseases as well. This is a farcical state of affairs because the diagnosis is supposed to be based on a history of tick exposure, not a confirmed bite and symptoms. But these symptoms can be just about anything. So what about erythema migrans, the famous rash said to be specific to Lyme disease? Once again, this is not a specific type of rash and the CDC even have a page called the many forms of Lyme disease rashes. This shows that the rash can be faint, could be crusted, and can appear in different shapes and colours. Whereas this is said not to be erythema migrans because it's just an allergic reaction to an insect bite. At this point we are likely to get some practitioners claiming that they know Lyme disease when they see it. But what are they referring to? Because they would have to be making up their own criteria as well. In terms of the alleged pathogen involved, we need to investigate the big book of Lyme disease called Lyme disease and relapsing fever spirochetes, published in 2021. In particular, chapter 13, Lyme disease pathogenesis, which states that Lyme disease was first recognized in 1976 when a cluster of cases of juvenile arthritis was recognized in Old Lyme, Connecticut. Many of these patients also reported cutaneous skin lesions that were similar to those reported in Europe that were previously associated with tick bites. There was a strong suspicion that an infectious agent was the underlying cause of both cases in Old Lyme, Connecticut and in Europe, but it was not until 1982 that a spirochete found in Exodes ticks was suggested to be the cause. The role of this bacterium named Borrelia burgdorferi as the causative agent of Lyme disease was quickly established as the bacterium was recovered from patients as well as from reservoir hosts such as the white-footed mouse. Well, they have only listed the one citation here by Burgdorfer et al, which is the 1982 paper with the title Lyme disease, a tick-borne spirochetosis. Note the question mark at the end of the title. The paper describes how 126 ticks from Shelter Island, New York were collected in 1981 and 61% of them were found to have spirochetes in their gut. Ah. Strangely, they concluded that, quote, the degree of infection varied. Some ticks contained only a few spirochetes. Others contained large numbers. 
Finding bacteria in a gut system is not evidence of an infection. We have trillions of microbes in our gut, and like all animals, the microbes are required for our life processes. In any case, it is nonsense to claim that microbes found in tick guts are the smoking gun for the cause of Lyme disease. To make the case for bitten transmission even weaker, they admitted that no other tissue, including the salivary glands, contained spirochetes. They did proceed to a study where about 300 ticks were allowed to feed on eight New Zealand white rabbits. This was an uncontrolled experiment, so again was simply an observational study rather than an experimental one capable of testing the hypothesis with an independent variable. If they were suggesting that Borrelia caused Lyme disease, then some of the rabbits should have been bitten by ticks, quote, infected with the bacteria, and other rabbits bitten by ticks not carrying the bacteria. Unsurprisingly, the biting onslaught by almost 40 ticks per rabbit attached to their shaved abdomens and metal capsules caused some of them to develop rashes. However, despite testing the rabbit's blood daily and taking skin biopsies, they found Borrelia in exactly zero. Zero! We can pause at this moment to emphasize that they have precisely no evidence that Borrelia species cause Lyme disease. And yet this 1982 paper is supposed to be one of the, if not the, foundational paper for their case. Again, it is an example of the germ theorists' desperation to make nature fit their model when they can see that the science does not back it up. In fact, they refuted themselves. So how on earth did they get this in the door? Due to the patent failure of their experiments, they resorted to an antibody study. The antibodies were created by using an assay that reacted to an antigen contained in a tick specimen mixture. They reported that the antibody was present in all rabbits that had been exposed to ticks. Although keep in mind, they are talking about a titer or concentration here. The protein could have been present in rabbits not exposed to the ticks as well, but they set the cutoff for a quote positive at a 1 in 20 dilution. Then they tested blood from nine patients clinically diagnosed with Lyme disease, which is straight back to the problem of what exactly does this mean in terms of their symptoms. In any case, they reported that the antibody was found in higher levels in these people than in people not diagnosed with Lyme disease. It is beyond the scope of this video to dive into the deeper problems with antibodies, such as their specificity and the relevance of their detection in a complex organism. You can watch my video series, The Yin and Yang of HIV, or Read Virus Mania, to learn about the scandalous claims that the medical establishment has made with regard to these dubious assays. Suffice to say, they do not constitute evidence for a pathogen, and all we can say is that the apparent presence of proteins, termed antibodies, in higher amounts, appears to be an indication of tissue inflammation or damage. It has been an ongoing offence committed by the germ theorists to claim it relates to pathogen exposure or, quote, immunity. This trick is resorted to because they cannot fulfil Cox postulates or provide the required foundational evidence through the scientific method. To be fair, the authors of the 1982 tick paper did state, observations suggest that the treponema-like organism may be involved in the etiology of Lyme disease. 
but this is the paper that the 750 page tome on Lyme disease provides as the evidence that Borrelia bacteria cause Lyme disease. There is more though. Chapter 24 of the book, Lyme Disease in Humans, then ventures to state that Lyme disease is the prototype of an emerging infectious disease. Yes, emerging out of the germ theorist's minds only, not out of nature. Then they decide to take a punt, claiming that the isolation of its etiologic agent, Borrelia burgdorferi, from humans in 1983, kept an intensive hunt for a pathogen that just a short time before had been cultured from a black-legged deer tick. Here they cite another pivotal paper with the title Spirochetes Isolated from the Blood of Two Patients with Lyme Disease, published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 1983. The headline sounds impressive until you read that they quote isolated spirochetes from the blood of two of 36 patients in Long Island and Westchester County, New York, who had signs and symptoms suggestive of Lyme disease. Yes, you heard that right. Found in only two out of 36 patients thought to have Lyme disease. That means that 34 out of 36 did not have detectable bacteria. The logical gymnastics in the paper are incredible. They suggested that this result, quote, provides the most direct evidence to date of their etiologic role in this disease. And how did they reconcile their abysmal statistical findings with germ theory? By claiming, without any evidence whatsoever, that because of the low frequency of isolations, the spiroketomia is probably transient and of low density in this condition. Here they are one step away from the virologist claiming that despite the microbes wreaking havoc in the body, they can't be found anywhere. The icing on the cake comes when the authors bizarrely assert that their paper means that three of the four Cox postulates for establishing the role of the spirochete as the causative agent of Lyme disease have been largely satisfied. Utter nonsense. Not one of the postulates have been satisfied as the exposure of these foundational papers have revealed. The last aspect to address is the mainstream claim that antibiotics are useful to treat the condition. If this were true, it can't be due to any antimicrobial action because, as we have just seen, there is no evidence that any of this is caused by bacteria. However, even the mainstream admit that they don't have sound evidence that antibiotics are effective. If we consult Diagnosis and Management of Lyme Disease in the American Family Physician, it states that doxycycline is effective for the treatment of early Lyme disease, but then lists the evidence rating as a lowly C, which equates to, quote, consensus, disease-orientated evidence, usual practice, expert opinion, or case series. In other words, not established through the scientific method. Having worked in the system for two decades, I know that doctors hope that one of their prescription medicines will be the magic bullet. Unfortunately, it stems from the misplaced belief in germ theory and pharmaceuticals. There are other factors as well. In this recent video by our friend and the co-author of Dissolving Illusions, Roman Bistrianic, fits in nicely here. Part of the blame of over-medication rests, as I have said with the profession, in yielding to the tendency to self-delusion, which seems almost inseparable from the practice. In our mode of inference, too often adopted, of counting only our favorable cases and in falling into the not uncommon error known in scholastic phrase as post hoc ergo propter hoc. 
the patient got well after taking my medicines, therefore he got well because of taking them. The greater portion of this blame, however, rests properly with the public, which insists on its right to be poisoned by somebody, like Barnum of illustrious memory. They believe in and practice on the measureless gullibility of a public which actually enjoys being humbugged. The whole dishonest and shameless business is built, as on a rock, upon the popular delusion that sick people must feed upon noxious substances. The more, the better, the nastier the more effective. The outside pressure upon the physician is very great, tending to force him to active treatment, whether in his judgment necessary or not. Some error of diet, some improper habit of the patient, may only need correction, and the administration of drugs be unnecessary or hurtful. H. Brown, M.D., Huntsville, Kentucky, 1892. We have a conundrum here because the term Lyme disease is so well known it would seem to most people that it must be real. However, the term should be relegated to the archives of pseudoscience. And as terrain proponents, we should be careful about being drawn into discussion along the lines of what causes Lyme disease, if not bacterial infection through tick bites. It is not something that can be diagnosed because the signs and symptoms are nonspecific. The microbiology is nonspecific, and the so-called tests are diagnostically nonspecific. I have heard Tom Cowan say that labelling a patient with Lyme disease is completely unhelpful, and would wholeheartedly agree, because that's what the scientific literature truly reveals. The symptoms may be real, but the fictional concoction known as Lyme disease is a cover story. Forget the label and attend to the situation of the individual. Whether they have been bitten by a tick in the past few months is probably not going to provide the answer. Every case will be different, and the various symptoms and signs are manifestations of the body's attempts to heal itself. The answers are found in addressing factors such as environmental toxins and deficiencies in the body, and it should be pointed out that we do not have pharmaceutical deficiencies. So don't go looking for your answers there. Some time ago, I moved away from the medical model involving alleged specific disease entities with the realization that the body simply has various conditions. The condition of the body should be perfect, and this can be achieved through ignoring the fear narratives and focusing on right living and right thinking. These principles are covered in detail in terrain therapy as well as my weekly content. If you enjoyed this video, please visit support.drsam.com 